Hello and welcome to The A-List, the podcast that asks the world's top advertising professionals how they got started in the business. I'm Tom Chrisman, Chief Creative Officer at Massimo Goldstein, an inspiring action agency in New York City. Today, I get to talk to Steve Sandstrom. He is the Executive Creative Director of Sandstrom Partners and a really great designer. You've held his work in your hand. I'm sure of it. He's up in Portland, Oregon, as they say there. They say Oregon. Don't say Oregon. And he uh, designed so many of uh, the things that you know and love. Tezo T, all of that stuff. He resurrected Converse, created the St. Germain bottle. Yeah, he tells his story of how he was just fascinated with typography and, and his father was in the Air Force, so he was really into logos and insignias and... You can just see all of that in his work. I think his story is interesting because he kind of came up through public school and found design in a very, you know, it's it's interesting how, how all these people sort of just kind of find it and don't realize what they found. He also designed Bullet Bourbon, which I love. So if the Bullet Bourbon people are, are listening, you know, you know what to do. You know what I'm saying? He talks a lot about his process and how he goes through things. And great guy to meet. Met him at the uh, Executive Creative Summit for the one show in New York City. And he was nice enough to uh, say he'd come on uh, the show, and, and he did. So uh, thanks, Steve. Really great interview. Can't wait for you to hear it. But first, The A-List is brought to you by Ad House Advertising School. Advertising age called Ad House New York's newest, smallest, and arguably hippest ad school. Their philosophy, an ad class is only as relevant as the professional who teaches it. Ad House classes are taught by the best in the biz in the agencies where they work. You get 10 weeks of classes for just 600 bucks. To apply, go to adhousenyc.com. And for the latest news, follow Ad House NYC on Facebook. This is uh, another in our series of designers, not traditional ad people. Even if you aren't a designer and you are a traditional ad person, I think it's a really interesting uh, interview. So here is my interview with Steve Sandstrom. Hey, Steve Sandstrom. Hey, Tom. Thanks for, for hopping on the line with us all the way from Portland, Oregon. Did I say Oregon right? You did say Oregon right. Right? That's like a lot of <laughs> yeah. people say Oregon. Yeah, or Oregon. Or, Oregon, mm -hmm. yeah. No, it's, yeah. It's Oregon, and it's Toronto. Oregon, yeah. I met you at the uh, the Executive Creative Summit at the One Show um, and you were you were very you were very gracious and sat and, and ate lunch with me and uh, we chatted a lot. <laughs> I was I was happy to have company for sure. <laughs> I think I invaded you. <laughs> no, no, that was great. Uh, but it was it was really great meeting you and, and and I've done some some research on you since and wow, you've done uh, a lot of stuff. You're you're really good at design. You should do it for a living. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, my parents never never could understand what I did, you know. I said, do you, do you paint billboards? <laughs> yeah, no, we're yeah. going to get into that. So, like, I want to, I want to, <laughs> what we do here on, on this podcast, I don't know if you've, you've listened to any of the other ones, but uh, what we try to do is, is talk about the origin stories of uh, people in design and advertising and, and how you got yeah. into it. So, so where we usually start is, uh, where'd you grow up, Steve Sandstrom? Yeah, I grew up here, which is a rare thing. You know, most people kind of in the, I would say, in the creative uh, industry, uh, probably more so than others, tend to leave. Yeah. You know, they don't stick around, although... They leave you know, Portland? There's a few famous, yeah, there's a few famous ones that, that did stick around, like Dan Wyden and Susan Hoffman. Yeah, so that's good they're company. pretty good. Yeah, they're all right. Uh, but you, so you were born in Portland, oh, yeah. and your, your dad was in the Air Force, right? Is that right? He was, yeah. What did your mom do? And my mom was a bank teller for wow. a while, and then she had a accident at the bank, and broke her back. Oh my god! And uh, yeah, so she uh, she loved that job. Yeah, it was you know wasn't the best paying job, but she really. Enjoyed the people, enjoyed the the place. She actually got robbed one time too. Oh my god! Yeah, at sawed off shotguns in her face. Wow! And, uh, so yeah, she made the news when I was a kid. 
Wow. <laughs> Port- I didn't know Portland was so rocking. I didn't know it was so yeah, scary. And they, they never <laughs> they never caught the bandits either. Wow. But they, they mistimed it because no one, no one, uh, there were no bank officers there that had the combination to the vault. So all they got was what was in the teller's Tills. drawers. So, so not yeah. a lot. Um, not a lot. That's, wow, it's dramatic. Yeah, it was. And then, it and then she, she broke sure. her back, which is, which is unfortunate. Um, that must have been, uh, rough on the family. Yeah. She, you know, she was in traction for a while. It was kind of Frankenstein set up, you know. It's the, a little scary when you're a kid. Didn't have, yeah, they didn't have the technology or any of the, you know, stuff they have now. And so she, she was, uh, she was fearful that she was going to be crippled for a while. And, yeah. um, but she had her, her spine fused and she got through that. That was about, I think I was about a freshman yeah. in high school when that happened and, um, and then she, she went on my, my, uh, my mom remarried and my stepdad, uh, was a steel worker and he also owned a tavern. Wow. So, yeah. So, so were... I used to like clean up the tavern when I was a kid, you know, clean up the parking lot. So you saw, you saw the, 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 the bottles and the labels and the, oh, yeah. and, and it was, uh, you didn't realize you were doing research. I, I didn't. I do know that uh, I do know that when I was like two or three, I would sit on my dad's lap while he was driving the car. Mm. You know, that's this is pre seatbelts, right? Right, sure. Yeah. And uh, and uh, I would name off the brands of cars as they came by. Oh, so I knew what a Ford looked like. I knew what a you know Chevy looked like, and I would just call them off as they'd go by. Because yeah. I'd recognize the head badges, or I'd recognize their the hood ornaments markings. and and, yeah. and things, or just the fin design, or the yeah. headlights, or the grill. You know, yeah. So it was kind of interesting that you know that's I think that's part of part of your training, right? Is that yeah. you're just aware of things. Your your eyes become uh, part of your. Well, everybody uses their eyes to learn, but sure. it's, it's sort of the the curious world, yeah. Right? Um, and and I also read that you you were into like the military insignias that you probably saw oh, yeah. in your dad's stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't know where you found this stuff. But oh, yeah, you know, I do my true. research. Yeah, I used to. We have uh, our research I used assistants. to <laughs> used to draw military insignias and flags of the world. You know, sketch those. That, that's what I do. I just lay around the house and get out a ton of colored pencils and you know try and find. Is that Some something simple flags, you know, is that something <laughs> that you're there or something? Yeah. Not uh, is that something that your, your parents had? Did your dad draw? Did you have any, where did it come from? Was it, uh, or was it just something that it, you just picked up? Yeah. I think, I think there's probably some genetics involved there. My, my dad was pretty good with his hands. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he could do like leather craft, you know, tooling and, um, my uncle was actually good. Uh, he was uh, pretty good at drawing and and also anything model making or you know anything with his hands. Right. My mom was. I had a little painting of a uh, mountain that she did oil painting when she was a teenager, but she never pursued it. Right. Uh, so, you know, um, I. I think they were more impressed with me than they were with their own talents. N- none of them pursued, you know, a career in art. My, my uncle, I always thought, gosh, he can draw well. Why doesn't, why doesn't he, you know, do that for a living? He was an accountant. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and he told me that uh, that was like pleasant stuff for him to do, not stuff that he wanted to make right. a job out of. That's not what you do for work. <laughs> You don't do that fun stuff <laughs> yeah. for work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> why why make it miserable? <laughs> <laughs> oh right, yeah. Like, well, it, can, it can turn into that, right? If you let it. Yeah. <laughs> um and uh so so in in high school did you did you kind of pursue classes and things that were art based? Yeah. Definitely. So I uh, I didn't actually take any drawing classes except I think 
you sort of do that when you're a freshman and you take any sort of art class. They, right. It's kind of experimental, you know. Sure. Paper mache. You're doing plaster of Paris yeah. and yeah, all that stuff, right? So it's just sort of. Uh, I made a triceratops. Uh, fundamental, rudimentary stuff. Oh, you did. Yeah, out of paper it, was, it was nice. That's pretty awesome. Doesn't exist anymore, Steve. Uh, <laughs> the triceratops, now they're extinct. That's right. Um, <laughs> I was checking. I was checking to see if you knew. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, I think I took courses like uh, drafting and, you know, uh, I, I took photography and I took calligraphy which was interesting. Yeah. And, um, uh, and those were kind of the art classes that I focused on photography, calligraphy. Um, I really didn't take a painting class or a drawing class until college. And when you were deciding, you were lucky to have those classes in your high school. I think, um, you know, a lot of, well, even luckier, even luckier yet in that we had a, uh, we had an occupational high school that if you're mm. a junior or senior, you could take vocational technical yep. classes there. And so there was a print shop. Oh, wow. So you had like yeah. real equipment that you could learn on. and I had process cameras and printing presses and typesetting equipment. And so wow. between doing hand lettering and having access to type, and having access to printing and running a little printing press and doing letterpress yeah. when I was in high school, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I designed, illustrated, printed, and, uh, and you know, uh, bound my own uh, Christmas cards one year. Oh, wow. So, yeah, in high school. That's very cool. So, yeah, it was, it was such a, and, and, you know, and even doing drafting, you know, back in the days of paste up and doing mechanical art, there was all the same tools being right. used. So, so I had, I had this and, and calligraphy is, you know, lettering and that, that gives you a sort of sense of how type was made and designed to begin with. It's sort of, you know, the fundamental mm -hmm. part of making letter forms. And so it was all like this perfect background education that wasn't planned. Yeah. But I, you know, when I got to college, I, I studied, I was a fine arts major. I, I, even though I had access to all that stuff, I didn't know there was a career called graphic design. Right. So you didn't so take not, it and I'm be like, Oh, I could do this and I could, I could. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But you had, I'm not formally trained. I don't have a design history background. I don't have any of that. Mm -hmm. I, I'm sort of, uh, you know, off the street. <laughs> <laughs> well, you went to the University of Oregon, right? Yes. Uh, in Portland, is that is that where that is? That's I'm in, sorry. Uh, there's know. a there's a Portland campus now, but uh, it's in Eugene, which is okay. about 112 or so miles south. All right. So it gave you a little space from the family. You had to be on your own a little yeah. bit. Um, yeah. What was that like? Going going off to college, were, were your were your parents kind of excited that you had taken a fine arts uh, major, or were they like, "What are you doing? Uh, you know, your your uncle's an accountant for a reason." Yeah, exactly. Well, um, my my parents had split, so there was really no money in the family to send me to school. You know, I did a community college for a couple of years, and then I transferred down to school in Eugene. But I was kind of paying my own way. Right. I had a pretty good gig because at the community college, I worked in the print shop. And there were uh, there were instructors for vocational courses like welding and machine shop mm -hmm. that were uh, creating. They were writing textbooks. And I got a job through the Department of Education illustrating their textbooks. Oh, wow. So my my summer job was doing mechanical drawings, you know, like, like how to drawings. Right. <laughs> so, uh, and, uh, so I was, I was doing that every summer to pay my way through college. That's great. A government job. Yeah. Yeah. It was cool until, until the, uh, the funding ran out. <laughs> 
Really? <laughs> did you yeah. did you find that boring, or were you like, oh, this is this is actually I'm I've got a job, and I'm was what were your what was your mindset then? Were you were you were you an angry kid about it, or were you sort of? No, no, yeah. I, I was. I felt I felt blessed in a way. You know, I just happened to be in a place where the instructors were writing these texts, mm-hmm. and I'd never welded before, but I could have taught the class after I got done yeah. illustrating the book, you know, and, uh, and it was fun working with those guys. I mean, they were, you know, they were kind of blue collar guys and that's yeah. my family was, you know, so it was easy, it was easy for me to hang out with those guys and they teach me, you know, here's what a, here's what a good weld beat looks like, you know, and in cross section. And so I draw it for them and, uh, and I was always preparing art for printing, so it was all you know, rapidograph, pen and ink, and yeah. and shading films, and and I would do so they call it technical illustration, right? And I would do about, I'd do about ten a day. Wow! And uh, yeah, I was in, I, I I'd be uh, stationed at a drafting uh, classroom. I'd just get a desk in a drafting classroom. And, uh, you know, in the summertime, they had smaller class sizes, so not all the desks were taken. So I just camp out in the corner and they would teach one of the courses in the drafting class was uh, mechanical technical illustration. Mm-hmm. They would do five drawings for the term. I would do 10 in a day, <laughs> more elaborate than their five. <laughs> yeah. And w- were the other students so, like, what are you, what are you doing back there? You're going too fast. You're making the instructors were, the in- yeah, the instructors were awestruck. It was like, how are you doing this? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and it's really, honestly, Tom, it's because I knew how to draw. I could draw. I knew about light and how it modulated across the surface. I knew, you know, I, right. I, I just knew how to draw. So and that came from just practice me, and, and, and yeah, doing it through me, high school. Me, and Sure. All my life, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So just give me a different set of tools. It's like adopting a new technology and yeah. you'll figure it out, right? Do you have, do you still draw? Do you have a, a, a habit of, of drawing? Do you have notebooks that you keep or? I never did the notebook thing uh, religiously mm-hmm. on occasion, but I got too fussy about how they looked yeah. and that's sort of stupid. <laughs> um, so, but I have, you know, I've had people working here and I've, and I've had friends that have kept the most amazing sketchbooks and, and they're, they are lives in themselves, these yeah. books, you know, and, and, um, and I just, I, you know, I, I'm really, I'm really bad. I'm, I'm on the back of every scrap piece of paper that's yeah. got miscellaneous phone numbers and sticky notes. And I, I just, you know, I'm just haphazard about all of that. Yeah. But I, I usually sketch before I do any work, you know, I kind of, even if it's by uh, hand. Yeah. 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 You can tell, you can see it in your work. Uh, it, oh. it feels very human, which is, which is cool. Um, the ha- having the hand, uh, uh, evidence of the hand is usually a pretty, uh, attractive thing for people. Yeah. For the human so, eye. Mm-hmm. You think? Yeah. I try to do that. How, do, why don't people, why don't more people do that? Is that, is it just a time issue or is it, they haven't been taught or, so I have a little rant that I do. Give me a rant. Uh, I love rants. When, yeah. When, <laughs> I think everyone should learn to draw. Yeah. I think it should be required in school that we learn to draw. Um, that said, not everyone should be an artist. Just like it's probably a good idea to work out, but that doesn't mean you're going to be third baseman for the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause it's a fundamental tool for not only learning, but for expressing like, for instance, I don't speak any foreign languages, but I can communicate with anyone in the world because mm. I can draw. Right. And it does, you don't have to draw well, right? You just have to draw well enough that somebody can grasp an idea from you. Um, so, you know, it's, I mean, we drew as humans something like 15,000 years before we formulated 
written language. Right. And and pretty elaborate drawings as well uh, on those cave walls. And amazingly beautiful and accurate. Yeah. And, and how did they remember what a running horse looked like once they were inside the cave? <laughs> there was no horse to look at, right? So Obviously, they, they took a picture of it with their iPhones, Steve. <laughs> yeah. Duh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Riding their triceratopses. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, when, I remember the first time I saw those drawings, I was so, it was almost an emotional like experience, like, oh my God, how good were these people? Yeah. You know, how old were really you, when you when you first saw those drawings, do you think, and understood? I was probably college aged, you know? Yeah. So what was University of Oregon like? What what what, what did you, when you finally got there uh, and you got out of the, the machine shop making the... Uh, yeah. The technical yeah. drawings, and you were down in Eugene, yeah. and you were you were a full fledged yeah. college guy with a Letterman yeah. sweater. Um, <laughs> yeah. What was it? What was Not it like? Quite, that's a, How did life uh, change? Well, it was you know it was cool because I was on my own, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and because I had earned enough, you know, doing my summer gig to sort of pay for my own apartment. Um. Well, I didn't have access to, you know, printing presses or a print shop, but, uh, did you miss that? Instead, I, I did, I did miss mm. that. Um, instead I, I learned, uh, lithography. So I went back in time <laughs> and, uh, you know, and etching, right. So I was doing printmaking, but I was taking drawing classes and painting classes and, uh, uh, and lots of printmaking classes. And then on top of that, I uh, did editorial cartooning for the paper, the Daily Emerald. Yeah. And uh, so I did that like every Friday I had a, uh editorial cartoon to have published. How did you and, how did you get uh, that that gig? Did you did you just sign up for it or was it a. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have to audition or something? Around, I sort of. I'd messed around and a little bit in high school and, and, uh, at the community college level started, you know, kind of trying to develop a, a style, um, and, uh, just out of, just out of interest. I mean, it wasn't anything, I, I didn't really think of that as being a career either. It was just right. kind of fun. And, uh, so I just took a collection of cartoons to the editor and, uh, he said, "Yeah, God, all right. When can you start?" Yeah. So that was that was a, a work study. I actually got uh, financial aid working on the newspaper in uh, at U of O. Oh, that's cool. Because uh, the newspaper there, the the Emerald, the Daily Emerald, um, was not a part of the journalism school. Yeah, it was free and independent. So it was the seventh largest daily in the state of Oregon when I was there. Oh wow! And it worked just like a r- real newspaper. I yeah. mean, there was a, there was a you know there was a news editor, there was an editorial editor, there was a full time production manager and a full time sales manager. Wow! And the uh, Eugene Register Guard used to provide a controller and 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 you know a board of directors for them to have you know some input and some help, some guidance. Right. And. Uh, so yeah, it was. It was. So you, you had a client, basically. Um, I did, and it strikes me that the guys in the in the welding shop were kind of your client as well, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you you uh, at a very early yeah. age, you had to sort of um, deal with the practical problem of of having people that are judging your work on a daily and hourly basis, and being like, no, change this, change that, and giving you feedback, and that you have to take into yeah. account. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of that's kind of cool. It was, it was work for hire for sure. It wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't art in the sense of I'm the creator and the mm-hmm. conceiver uh, and uh, an executor. But that's what the fine art classes were. So right. I had kind of a commercial thing, you know, more of a what you would consider a commercial life going in parallel with a fine arts, you know, self expression thing, and actually. 
that part, you know, being an artist for me was exhausting. And uh, why, why so? Was you too why'd... freaking hard? Too because wide open. you know you're creating your well you're creating your own problems and you're expressing mm. your own self right and yeah. uh, so you know solving someone else's problems that was a lot easier it was, right. it, it was it was about the same as I felt about cleaning my room versus cleaning my friend's room so we could go out and play yeah yeah cleaning my room was a chore right cleaning my friend's room so we could go out and play was like, come on, dude, let's just get this done. That's <laughs> really insightful. I think it's like like having a having an end to the tunnel, having a, a place where you're done is kind of important. Yeah. Yeah. So the, you know, deadlines are critical, right? Yeah. <laughs> would we would anybody pay their taxes if there wasn't a deadline? <laughs> that reminds me I need to pay my taxes. Yeah, I'm just kidding. I paid anyway, it was just to me. It was easier to 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 work on other people's things than yeah. you know. So it's it, I I say that my life has been really just avoidance. <laughs> <laughs> avoidance. I don't have, your, to, I don't have to deal with my own problems. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll deal with yours. Yeah. So did you? <laughs> what did you? Need? When did you realize that, like, hey, maybe this commercial art thing is the thing that's going to be my career, and the art thing is more of a like? When did you make that choice? But you know, I had uh, there was I had a lot of confusion coming out of coming out of U of O because yeah. I had uh, the editorial cartoons that I did for the for the paper there. I won national award for that um it's so cool do you still have those those cartoons i yeah i have some of them yeah It'd be cool to see those um, for the for the blog post that we do yeah yeah they're kind of i had a little sort of daffy duck like you know was the the ducks right little right. daffy duck like character that was uh much in the way of uh oliphant or uh, mcnally some of the editorial cartoonists that I sort of admired when I was younger, mm-hmm. they always had some little bird in the corner with, you know, saying some right. side comment to yeah. the cartoon. And I always thought that those, those were funny. Yeah. So I, I duplicated that. So I took that idea and, and, um, and I had a little duck in the corner making jokes on my editorial piece. And, uh, and I had an advisor named David Foster who was just a great Renaissance man. And, um, he would meet with me every week so I could kind of get credit for doing these drawings. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he said, you know, I think this little thing in the corner is funnier than the rest of the cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, why don't you make that character bigger? Yeah. So it became sort of an alter ego, you know, the, the, the duck, the little duck in the corner that looked kind of like Daffy mm-hmm. grew. And then, uh, and then at, at one point, uh, there was a movement to replace the Walt Disney design duck that looks like Donald with mine. Oh, went and, for uh, the so Oregon a, ducks. Yeah. Wow. So there was a big election done and, and, uh, you know, that was, so I got, I got famous because that was in the, every newspaper and on, I was on the radio and television and everything because, you know, what? No Donald. And, you know, no, duck. right. Right, you have a, and then this other sort of sleazy, weird duck yeah. is going to be in its place. This weird you know? duck is coming in and trying to take this <laughs> our, our favorite duck's position. So you didn't yeah, win the election, right. I'm guessing. Did not win. But, yeah, thank but you got God. You, right? <laughs> really? Oh yeah, I'd be drawing that forever. <laughs> I'd still be doing that. <laughs> um, and and you you, uh, you got a little fame out of it too. So so. That yeah. sort of that, so that, that must got, have, you feel good about that. Well, that got me uh, that got me interviews for, for you know with little ad agencies in mm-hmm. Portland when I when I got out of college. Is that is that what um, you were pursuing? Is that where you were like, well, I better get a job at I an was, ad agency, or I was, was it trying to be anywhere? an illu- I thought I'd be an illustrator. Right. I thought I'd just be an illustrator, and and uh, so I even printed up little flyers and 
tried to, you know, mail them out to agencies and, and, uh, but I ended up and it, it sort of led me to getting a job at a small little firm. And so I started out in advertising, like really, you know, really awful advertising, <laughs> but it was, uh, you know, it was, it was actually, it was, it was more like business school than it was right. advertising. And you, yeah, I read that you said you, you wish you had studied business and marketing and, and, uh, oh, I, I tell all the kids in, you know, the art department. Yeah. Learn about intellectual property law. Right. Learn about, you know, marketing. Um, these, if you stay as a fine artist, you want to know what your rights are. Right. And how to sell your stuff. Absolutely. Um, did you, uh, I forgot where we were. Uh, we were, uh, okay. So you got the job at the ad agency and, um, what were you doing? Paste up mechanicals and things like that. Every, I was doing everything cause it was there. It was, uh, there were only like five of us. Oh, so I was, I was art director. I was sometimes writing headlines. I was, uh, and you'd never really done that before. No. So how did you, did you just fake it or did you just kind of? Yeah. Wing it. (laughs) You know, it's like solving other people's problems, right? Yeah. They weren't my problems. They were other people's problems. It's like, oh, I can help you with that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So you need me to write a headline? I can write a headline. So you just figured it out. I figured it out. How do you go about finding? I knew about printing. Yeah. You know, I knew about printing. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I knew about, I, I kind of self-taught in terms of typography, but I knew calligraphy. So I knew letter forms. Right. And, uh, you know, it was a lot of like using press type and, uh, you know, just right. kind of had to. The fast I, stuff, I, the like cheap I say, stuff. It, was, it wasn't, yeah, right. I was kind of learning it was like off the street <laughs> design school. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how long did you stay really at that at that ad, ad agency? Were you like, okay, this is my career now. I'm going to be in advertising. Yeah, no, no, I could I couldn't have survived. I, I ended up doing a bunch of freelance work to supplement my income. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And so I was working on. Uh, I had a rock and roll radio station client. How did and, you get? How did you uh, get your clients? What, what uh, as a like? What was your? Well, they had. So there, there was this. There was this kind of bleeding edge rock and roll station in Portland and uh they you know rock and roll format didn't doesn't bring in a lot of advertising mm-hmm. with big dollars you know you've got like stereo places and you know some bad used car places and, and uh but you know they didn't get the big the big uh grocery right. <laughs> or real estate or right. <laughs> you know cars or you know they didn't get the big account, so they right. they were kind of always had scrappy little ads going on, and and uh, so because of that, whenever they wanted to do a promotion, they'd always have a contest. So it'd be you know design something, design their T-shirt, design mm-hmm. their you know whatever poster. So I, just on a whim, I I did. I entered one of their contests and won. And then the next time they had a contest, I almost won that one. So then they asked me if I work on a logo for him. Oh, okay. that's cool. Yeah. So, so it just kind of came out of entering, entering these contests as a, just yeah. a fun thing that you were doing. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then they, they were a client for 11 years. And did you, awesome. did you, were you able to start your own thing out of that and build on it? Well, the, you know, the, the thing about radio and especially sort of, edgy rock radio at the time is that radio is not a visual medium. Mm. And so for me, I got to create that. Right. I, I wasn't necessarily even a listener, but I understood the audience. Yeah. And I, you know, I just decided I, I need to figure out a, a really cool way to piss off most of the parents in the city. <laughs> you, you, you wrote your own brief. Yeah. Piss off the parents. Yeah. Uh, so what'd yeah. you do? Uh, 
Well, you know, everything kind of looked like a a Chinese horror film. I, it was it was pretty funny, you know. Um, but the uh, the uh, the logo, you know, caught on, and man, I don't know. There were a half million bumper stickers printed one year, oh, and they cool. were everywhere. I mean, they were everywhere. You know, I did outdoor boards with neon on wow. them. Yeah. Neon so, neon paint or, or actual, actual neon, neon tubes? Actual neon. Wow. Like a, a black Fender guitar with hot pink neon strings. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, we did some pretty awesome, pretty awesome things. Uh, but uh, that's where their money would go. You know, they, mm -hmm. they, they couldn't afford big media, but right. they could afford outdoor because it was kind of, you know, everybody's sort of third string. Yeah. And so for me, that was like, you're going to give me a 14 foot high by 48 foot wide poster. Yeah. All right. I'm up for that. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's so cool. Can I do motion? Can I do, can I light it? Can I, you know, can we have people hang, you know, one time we, we just didn't finish the, uh, didn't finish the billboard. We left the, we left the uh, scaffolding and everything up and had it only halfway painted, left the paint cans and everything on it. Oh, and just great. left it like that. Yeah. So it was just that's a work so rock in progress. And roll. Yeah, exactly. And everybody knew what it was. Yeah. We had the logo done in fireworks on a barge in the city. Yeah. I mean, how many people have had their identities in designed in fireworks going <laughs> off on a barge in the middle of the river. <laughs> That's it was so awesome, cool. You know, That's I mean, so cool. Yeah. It was just, it was a blast. So what happened was the creative director at Nike saw all that stuff uh -huh. and it was like, who's doing that? So I got a gig there. You got a gig working at Nike. Yeah. Wow. And did you know Nike at the time? Was that were they were they huge? Were they local? Yeah, I was a runner. Or... Oh, okay. I was a runner, so you know, I I was well aware and So you wore the Cortez? Yeah. Is that what you were wearing at the time? I did have a pair of Cortez. <clears throat> but I had them back when they were on Atsuka Tigers and not Nike. I had them pre Nike. Right. So Yeah, he just uh, he just took this Japanese shoe and just kinda Sold it here. No, right? the other That's, way. Oh. It's Bill Bowerman, the track coach at U of O, designed the shoes. Right. And Phil took them to Japan to have them made. Oh, great. Yeah. yeah. I, re I read the book. It's it's fascinating uh, how yeah. how it all started. It was so haphazard and um, just kind of. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you think, of, you think of a company like Nike having this, you know, they must, the origin story must be. So, you know, oh, a brilliant idea. And, you know, we all know Michael Jordan and all those things. But it was so like, ah, maybe I'll just sell shoes. I don't know. And I don't know, I'll go to Japan and figure out. It was, yeah. uh, it was fascinating. He went and, to Japan. He went to Japan to get them made and he couldn't get any financing. Nobody would fund him. No local bank would give him a loan. So yeah. he found a Nishio Iwai. He found a big, you know, corporation in japan that yeah. basically helped him get it going and you know they made they made good on that yeah <laughs> a good investment after so, all so how many people were at nike when you when you were there uh it was at the in nike design there was peter moore who was my creative director um there's a guy named ron, ron dumas who kind of he focused on footwear uh and i was hired to focus on the apparel side of the business and also just kind of overall brand stuff. But yeah. most of the stuff we did at the internal design group was, you know, B2B kinds of things. Right. We weren't doing like advertising. store like, posters you know, and. Yeah, exactly. Packaging, yeah. every you know, hang tags, right. you know, the, the garment labels, uh, all of that stuff. And any of the point of sale, yeah. any of the promotions, it might be even invitations to events. You yeah. know, I did like the invitation to the Olympic games after party in 1984. Wow. <laughs> 
I wasn't invited, but I did the invitation. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't keep one for yourself and, and sneak in the back? There may be, I may have one of those. I may have one sitting in some, you That's know, so cool. Was that their first Olympics, somewhere? the 1984? Yeah, they actually didn't. Nike was so small, they couldn't advertise, so they did one spot that was at the very end. But they weren't an official sponsor. Converse was. Right. And they spent their they spent their whatever million dollars on outdoor boards all around LA, so it looked like they owned yes, yes the Olympic Games. And uh, Shiat Day was involved in placing all those. So there was a wall with McEnroe on it. Yeah. There was Carl Lewis jumping off the end of the outdoor board and Right. And Peter Moore was involved, my boss was involved in all that stuff. Yeah, he, he actually won some national fashion award for uh for the innovative marketing for apparel. Yeah. Uh, what was it like working for Peter Moore? Awesome. He was very, I mean, Peter, so here, here is my good fortune. I was, you know, like senior art director, uh, under Peter Moore, who was creative director, who was under Rob Strasser, who was marketing VP, who was under Phil Knight. Mm. So if you did an org chart, it was pretty impressive how close I was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) But Phil wasn't involved. Rob and Peter were really close and best friends, in fact. Yeah. And uh, are very close, you know, like best friends. And whatever Peter wanted to do, Rob would do. Whatever Rob wanted to do, Peter would do for him. All I needed was Peter's yes. Right. So Peter gave me an assignment. There was no one in the company to get between me and what my idea was. Right. No one. Right. No one in advertising, no one, no other vice president. Right. Had any influence over there whatever wasn't like we, a, a board meeting he had to go to no, where he had to like sell no, the board and Nope. No. Sell the global investors do, and you know, my marching orders would be don't fuck it up. <laughs> is that what was the what was the what was the company culture like back then uh you know it was there were it was kind of an odd time because reebok was coming on so strong and right. so there was you know there was a there was a downturn and there were a bunch of layoffs and so there were a lot of people that were you know, sad and, and, yeah. and kind of down. And I was, you know, it was a little tentative. I was kind of recent hire and then, right. you know, 400 people got let go and that wow. was pretty brutal. Um, but, uh, but, you know, every company goes through those, you know, good times, bad times. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was, however, one of the most, uh, incredible times in that Andre Agassi was signed. Michael Jordan was signed. Bo Jackson was signed. David Robinson was signed. I mean, there were all these people, you know, that, that changed everything. Right. And, um, and McEnroe had just been signed ahead of me coming in. And so, you know, getting to meet and work with all these yeah, athletes and, and, you know, heroes and, uh, and, and Peter was very hands off. Uh, so he made, he turned me into that kind of creative director. You know, I have, uh, senior people that I stay hands off with. So, um, but I leave my door open all the time, which he always did, you know? Um, so So he taught, he taught you how to be a leader basically. Peter, Peter taught you how to lead people. Yeah, I think, I think, uh, I think that's probably true, Mm. you know? Um, and he was, he was a real hothead. I mean, really, really violent temper Mm -hmm. would throw things would, you know, punch things. Right. (laughs) I don't know how many phones died, you know, a splintered death against the wall. Yeah. But, uh, and he had a, he had an incredibly, uh, great almost lyrical poetic way of swearing from the front door all the way to his back corner office in one constant stream of unspeakable words 
<laughs> welded together in such a form that that one time I just wrote it down because I couldn't believe what I'd heard, you know, in that five minute walk. And uh, I did a caricature of him one time and I put that as like in the talk bubble. I yeah. did the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Except, and I just put it on his desk one day and I thought, oh, well, this will either be the end of me or he'll get a good laugh. Yeah. And, uh, um, I went in there one day and he wasn't in there and he had pinned it up on his wall behind his chair. Yeah. And then I was working one weekend and he came in with like his eight year old son who gets back to his office before he does. And I'm thinking, Oh God, that thing is in there. You can't read that. No, you know, you can't read that. And then all of a sudden I heard, all right, dad, come out of the, <laughs> so he'd heard it all before he became, he, yeah he became a minor legend and his son like yeah that's yeah. you man that's yeah. you right yeah. um but but he really is one of the you know kindest people actually and one of the most loyal people yeah um you know uh and i and i think you know that that's just his way of blowing off steam, but yeah. he's been a brilliant guy. I mean, really brilliant right. guy. I, and I, was I, perfect I, for that job. I want to get to uh, to your your current uh, thing that uh, you've been doing yeah. for a while. Did you did you leave Nike to start your own design firm? Yeah. What what? How did that because decision? Robin uh, Peter had left. Robin oh, Peter had left. Right, and uh, so there was a change in guard. At, at Nike and right at the right, just maybe a month after they left, I got a call from uh, Porter's parent and Norander advertising. Yeah. And at the time, you know, like agencies were connecting with design from Duffy and Fallon, yeah. Keith Bright and Chiat Day. And, you know, this was a thing that was happening. And yeah. so uh, they were looking for, you know, well, you know, maybe we should bring, graphic design in instead of sending all this work out to other little firms yeah let's let's bring it in house and have more control and service our clients better and yeah you know so the good thing about that was it exposed me to some really really good writers right and and these are writers that were working at widen as well right like the portland yeah the portland mm -hmm industry is sort of a, a, a tiny one uh, compared to yeah. to other places yeah. and, and everybody we works everywhere. Pick off. Yeah, we used to pick off writers from, you know, we used to get writers from Goodby to work for us. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Moonlight, you know. Yeah. But the thing is, we, we make stuff, you know, it's not, wasn't broadcast, right? right? Everybody's working on their TV reels, but we were doing like dimensional things. We were doing things that would you know, you could hold and, like what? uh, well, it's sometimes it could be packaging, but it could right. also be like interesting display items or, yeah. you know, interesting point of sale or, or right. even like direct mail or, you know, so it, you're, it you're, was a different world. Your business to business, uh, experience at Nike kind of got you into packaging and, and yeah. taught you things about how to, cause right now, uh, I just, I, Looking at your your website, um, just going through a few of the things that I was, uh, you know, Tazo T or is it Tazo? Yeah, I never noticed that. Tazo, um, and then right. uh, Convert. You resurrected Converse. Um, yeah, uh, Saint Germain. That that bottle that I love. I've never tasted it, <laughs> but I always I always look at that bottle and I go, "Wow, look at that! That's yeah. a bottle, man." <laughs> um, and uh, so, so uh, you know, you you sort of become a package and bullet whiskey, right? You 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 did bullet yeah. whiskey as well, which I I love the the rye. That's one of my faves. Um, yeah. Uh, you seem to love sort of big, uh, dimensional like things that are heavy in your hand, and is that something that that comes from 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 that from building things and. Having dimensional. Oh, that's that's I'm, you know that's a good question. I think uh, I think there's a sort of the the, 
Portland it may be less so anymore in Seattle these days, but uh, I think Portland's kind of Midwestern mm. in in attitude. There's a little bit of you know uh, that work ethic, that mm-hmm. sort of you know calm, common person, hard yeah. work, you know, yeah. um, roll up your sleeves and get it done, kind of thing. So I think there's a uh, there's a maybe a vernacular there. That yeah. uh, you know, if, if it looks like it's if it looks like it's working hard too, right? You know, um, I think people appreciate stuff like that. We're always kind of looking for the story. All of our our we didn't set out to do packaging. We set out to build brands, right. and so all of our packaging work comes through the brand. Mm-hmm. It comes through the filter of like the why. The you know, this is because of why, mm-hmm. and so you know the execution of those things has to be kind of intrinsic to what the story is and mm-hmm. who those makers are and what their interests are and why mm-hmm. are they doing this and you know uh, bigger sort of bigger, longer lasting than uh, something that's often trendy or you know f- sort of fleeting. Right, which is kind of kind of the difference with a lot of advertising, which is really intended to like we need to move the needle now. Yeah, um, and if we do it well enough for a long enough period of time, it'll be branding. You know, right, right. But um, you know, our shots are like big shots. They're like we're going to send one big salvo out there, and it's got to be good. Yeah, 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 <laughs> uh, and it's got to last, right? So, right. Um, yeah, I learned a lot from, there was a guy at Miller when we were working on Miller, there was a guy named Jeff Carefoot who was, uh, was, he, he did this little sketch and it was, I, I still use that, uh, little sketch today. And that is, it's, it's kind of a megaphone, like an acute angle. Mm-hmm. And so out at the mouth of the megaphone, he said, that's where advertising lives. You point, you're pointing that towards an audience, but it's a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. You're trying to reach a, a good group of people. Down at the mouthpiece, mm-hmm. you're talking to one person. That's where packaging is. Mm. Your relationship is with one person, mm. not all those people. Now, it, it becomes cumulative, but the in-your-hand relationship is one-to-one. Mm. And, you- and so it's... it's you know, and that is also like, how do you separate beer, a beer brand from the label, the bottle, the cap? You know, it's commodity outside of that. Yeah. In the It's commodity in the glass, but in the bottle, that's the brand. So knowing that those relationships are that intimate, you know, when you're doing that work, it's. It's challenging, but that's what's really fun about it. You yeah. know, it's you're you're making something that's that hopefully someday maybe it'll become iconic. You know, yeah. can you can you can you make the next American icon? Yeah, that's a great that's a great challenge, right? Because it's really hard to do in the world constant change right now. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And um, what what are what are some of your uh... What are some of your favorite things, uh, problems that you've solved, or one of your favorite uh, problems that you've solved, and and uh, how you sort of overcame some obstacle to get there? Yeah. Well, you know the the I think maybe the first the first big build it from scratch brand that we did was Tazo, mm-hmm. and and probably for for almost 12 years was probably the best new business tool we ever had. Right. Know? Right. Um, and it was, uh, you know, the brief was awesome. It mm-hmm. was a sentence. It was Marco Polo meets Merlin. Marco Polo meets Merlin. Yeah. I, that was, that was my client's Who, description. Is that Steve what Smith? He yeah. Marco, what he wanted to do. Marco Polo meets Merlin. And and he just yeah. he just said that to you and did you understand what that yeah. meant? Because I'm not sure I would. Oh, totally. Okay. Well, so here it is. Right. Tea. Tea is the oldest concocted beverage. 
Right. It is the second most consumed beverage next to water on Earth. Mm. It is somewhere around 7,000 years old. Wow. So it's, it is not an American thing. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it is not really part of American culture. Mm. But he, he was hopeful that, you know, we could change American perceptions about tea. But what he really wanted to do was to do that through sort of ready to drink to the, the Snapple sort of model right. where it would be bottled mostly like herbal uh, and fruit juice concoctions. So it might be like uh, hibiscus, apple juice, uh, star anise and, and uh, uh, cassia root and or cassia bark and, and uh, different roots and make these concoctions that were delicious, healthier, you know, lower sugar, um, and things that you could almost like a barista make performance art with. You could shake them, you could add cream to them and ice and, you know, make these phenomenal concoctions. And so he, he was all into to the uh, sort of the ready-to-drink uh side of things not so much the the you know loose leaf right traditional geeky tea side of things he mm -hmm. wanted to innovate mm -hmm. and so marco polo is the is the you know the western traveler that goes to asia right, right where tea is from and merlin is the is the potion expert mm -hmm. right the the you know coming up with the concoctions and the secret formulas and all of that so it it set up a pretty great little visual, yeah. you know, trip for us. And, uh, and we just, you know, we just rewrite history <laughs> for our own, for our own device. You yeah. know, I mean, the, the, like one of the little Tazoisms would be, um, the pharaohs of Egypt had the pyramids built as warehouses for Tazo <laughs> to stockpile, to stockpile as a hedge against inflation. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so if we get to do stuff like that, yeah. That that's like that changes your life. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean it's like okay, this is this is fun on a whole different level. Yeah. This is everything we liked about history, everything I liked about design, every weird little calligraphic thing I yeah. did in high school. All those maps every and flags thing, and Yes. Things oh, you God, were drawing yeah. and right. yeah, yeah. And and then also like from the fine art side of things, it was like uh so I had this painting instructor from New York and he would always look at my my work and he'd he'd just shake his head and he'd say, It's it's fucking subversion of expectation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and uh it's so he could articulate things that I couldn't. I was too young, too naive. But I would do things that looked symmetrical, but they weren't. They were like a half inch off. I would draw like straight lines, but they weren't because I'd use a warped straight edge. On purpose. You know, I, yeah. I yeah. 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 And I, you know, I'd paint something under and then paint right over the top of it with something else. Yeah. But things would show through and there'd be like, I think it's this, but it could be that. Yeah. You know, was it, is it hair? Is it string? Is it lines? Is it yeah. geometry or is it fake geometry? You know, it was, right. so it was, I was doing all these things. So when Tazwa came along, it was like my opportunity to get into that weird zone. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, um, uh, and so uh, it was hard for a lot of, you know, other folks in the studio to work on it because it was so personal, right, you know, like right. the, the layouts were symmetrical and asymmetrical at the same time. Yeah. The type was formal and informal at the same time. Right. And so it was just, it was just a screwy, weird, you know, eclectic thing. And I thought we're either going to, you know, blow up 
with uh, male as devil worshippers, yeah, yeah. or you know, or, or maybe something cool will happen. How how are we going to change Americans' perceptions about tea if yeah. they still think it's sleepy time grandma stuff, right? So, <laughs> yeah. so uh, you know, we're we were we were kind of hanging it out there, no yeah. research, just go shooting from the you know shooting from the hip, and um, you know, so. You, you kind of had those alpha consumers buying it like crazy. Yeah, you know, they were yeah. like, "What is this?" It reminds you know? me of and your we, your rock and roll bumper stickers. You know, yeah, um, exactly. It was all the it was all that you wrong know, kind stuff. of the culmination. Yeah, kind of the culmination of uh, you know, and and you know that thing you said. There's the hand. You know, there was a lot of that, right? Yeah, yeah. We made we hand made a lot of things. Yeah. It was always painful. I can't even begin to tell you how many millions of dollars I blew <laughs> in time. <laughs> <laughs> but your 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 clients seemed to love it, uh, and and came back to you later, right? He's still he he's he's been a, a yeah um, that client loyalty, and I think that comes from your. Uh, experience sort of working for those welders and those, you know, sort of being the, 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 the problem solver and the, yeah, <laughs> the, the person who can talk to anyone really. Uh, yeah. That, that sort of, uh, you seem like the, the kind of guy the that, that never, that never says like, well, I'm a designer. I know better. And uh, let me just, uh, let me just yeah, take I this away. I, I, I do, I do think of being a designer as a uh, elevated uh, position yeah. that I'm I'm proud to uh, refer to myself as. Right. Um, I feel more comfortable referring to myself as a designer than say as a creative director right. or as a you know creative business person. Just the word or, creative. Uh, yeah. yeah um, because it is. It, I I I think design has a has become or has uh, adopted a, a, a greater general status of just problem solving. Yeah. Yeah. It's like not, you, you it's not art. Same. It's, it's, it's a, it's a problem solving tool that you, that you use. Sure. Mm. Ar architects design furniture, right? But they're mm. architects and they, yeah. they've done amazing furniture and fixtures and light right. fixtures and solved other problems. And, right. you know, so, I sort of feel like, well, I'm a designer in this sort of that same way. I'll, I'll work on in different media and uh, and for different kinds of clients. Mm -hmm. um, and it's I, fun. We're project based, so yeah. you know, every, so we get a, we get a project and we're employed. And when we're done, we're unemployed. So that's, <laughs> well, you know, it's, that br it's brings bad. me to my my. Uh, I, I know you're we're running out of time for you, but uh, the. Uh, the last question always, which is how can designers and people that want to work from you or learn from you or just ask you stuff, uh, how can they get in touch? Yeah. Uh, well, I suppose Steve at SandstromPartners.com, yeah. you know, that's, uh, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's a small, we have a small firm. I answer the phone, yeah. you know, wow. <laughs> so he may not write you back. But uh, or he may take a while to write you back. But uh, know that he is hard hard at work on the next uh, bullet bullet rye bottle, which yeah, right, which you got to work right. on because I need another bottle of that. Um, <laughs> oh, you don't make them all by hand. I get you. All right. Don't blow don't blow the, the glass. Yeah, uh, <laughs> like uh, Ryan Reynolds. Did you see that latest spot? Yes, that yes. was one of that aviation was one of our projects oh wow that's yeah cool. john olson was the designer of that and uh yeah and San sandstromdesign.com <laughs> what is it what is the uh, sandstrom partners now sandstrompartners.com yeah. uh, uh -huh. and uh check them out over there uh such beautiful work and and like i said it's all it all feels so human and and uh and beautiful and if if uh oh. Uh, I would well, I would you, love Tom. to get to work with you someday on something. Oh uh, uh, yeah, and uh, love to if I'm ever out in Portland uh, have a have a bullet with you. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, or we could um, rob a bank. I don't know. We could yeah we could 
I don't have any shotguns, but uh, yeah, we won't use shotguns. We'll use uh, (laughs) we'll use just uh, really really well designed posters that say "Give us money." There we go. Right. Um, That's a better. I'll write them. You can design them. It'll be okay. That'll be awesome. (laughs) Well, uh, anything else you want to at least have a show? We can hang them in a gallery. Yeah, it'll just be just be bank bank robbing posters. These are notes, (laughs) bank robbing notes. I love it. It's a great idea. Let's do it. Good idea. Um, right. uh, anything else that I've, I've I've neglected to ask you or talk about that you want to? <laughs> uh, no, it's a, right. it's a beautiful sunny day here, oh. and uh, it's it's the it's the it's the time of year that uh, people who moved here are like, oh yeah, oh uh, that's right, this is good. It's not raining in Portland. It's not. It's not right now. No, wow. it's good. It's all good. Uh, We can go for a run sometime. I would love that too. I don't have to drink booze Um, (laughs) through the through the woods of Portland. Well, thank you so much, Steve. Thanks, Tom. Hey, so that was my conversation with Steve Sandstrom. What a what a great guy. Designed so many of the things that you and I love to hold in our hands. I loved his stories about Tezo Tea and how that came to be. Sandstrom Partners must be a really cool place to go and uh, look at all of their... Uh, I, I hope to be up in Portland someday and, and check that out. So thanks for listening. This has been The A-List, brought to you by Ad House Advertising School. I'm Tom Chrisman. Thank you so much. Please rate and subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's the only way we get other people listening. Share it with a friend. And if you want to be interviewed for an upcoming episode, contact us through adhousenyc.com and Lawrence Laugh will be happy to take care of you there. You can follow me on Twitter at uh, Mongo Industries. And you can check out DeMassimo Goldstein at DigoBrands.com. The A-List is recorded at Gramercy Post in New York City. You can find them at GramercyPost.com. Our engineer is Matt Stillo, and our producer was Casey Valigursky. Thanks, guys. <laughs>